Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. We are one past four. It's time to begin. And welcome to our part two of this seminar, of the finance seminar. This hour, we're going to talk about moving to the country, personal finance considerations. And um, for the recording, I'm Alistair Huang. And for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, my name is Alistair. I gave you some of my background last hour, so I'm not going to go through that again. But we're going to dive right in after we pray, and uh, we will ask the Lord's presence and his blessing to be upon us as we discuss together. So let's bow our heads together as we begin. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll be with us this next hour. We thank you for what we've learned so far. I pray now as we shift our attention to more uh, a more specific area of personal finance, particularly in how to apply the principle you've given to us of moving to the country with our families. May you help us to think practically and help us to be able to make the move when the time is right. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, the target audience. Who am I talking to? I know a lot of people here are already living in the country and have been there for a long time. Well, this seminar is really not for you. If you're here, you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. But really, the topic is more geared for those who are still on the fence, those who are thinking about it, those who are considering it. And there are probably still some principles, some lessons here that could apply to uh, those who are already living in the country. So what are we talking about today? We have six practical questions. This discussion is outlined in six points. Number one, why move to the country? What's the purpose of country living? That, that, that undergirds everything else in the presentation. Number two, who should move to the country? Number three, when is the right time to move? Number four, how much land? What type of home? Number five, how self-sufficient must I be? And then number six, the big one, how much can I afford? All right, so let's dive right in. First question, why move to the country? What's the purpose? Starting with why will help guide us to answer the rest of our questions. Just a couple of statements to get us going here. In the book Country Living, serious times are before us and there is great need for families to get out of the cities into the country that the truth may be carried into the byways as well as the highways of the earth. Huh, notice that. The first point that we're looking at here is the mission. Country Living must advance God's mission for his remnant church. Because the mission of the remnant church should inform everything that the remnants do, right? The remnant does. Okay, that's point number one. The next one here, instead of the crowded city, seek some retired situation where your children will be so far as possible shielded from temptation and there train and educate them for usefulness over and over and over again. For those of you who have read the council, you will, you will agree with me that when she talks about moving to the country, invariably she talks about the children. It's for the raising of the children, protecting them from the influences that might assail them in the city, to train them in the natural setting for usefulness. So to save our children and then to train them. And when we think about training our children for usefulness, what kind of usefulness? Of course, on the farm and gardening and being, you know, having common sense and, you know, the, the logical things. But within the context of the mission, 
we have to understand it must also include usefulness in God's work. Amen? And what better place to train young people for God's work than in the country? Because guess where all of God's you know, greatest missionaries in the Bible were trained? They, were all, they all grew up in the, in the country. Even Jesus himself was raised in the country. All right, another one. We are, we've all heard this one before. Country Living, page 9, again and again, the Lord has instructed that our people are to take their families away from the cities into the country where they can raise their own provisions. For in the future, the problem of buying and selling will be a very serious one. We should now begin to heed the instruction given us over and over again. Get out of the cities into rural districts where the houses are not crowded closely together and where you will be free from the interference of enemies. Now, there's a lot in this passage, but in summary... It is in preparation for the final crisis, okay? In preparation for the time of no buying or selling. Now, what does this preparation entail? Very clearly, she talks about raising our provisions. That's where the garden comes in. That's why we have entire conferences, like at Agra, right? The gardening, uh, agricultural aspect of it is very specific. She mentions that over and over as well. And she also talks about being free from the interference of enemies. Now, what does that mean? We have somewhat of an example in real life where for a number of years, not too long ago, there were mass lockdowns in cities where we saw that within the cities, the ability to move freely around and to do different things was greatly curtailed, whereas those who were out in the more rural districts, life more or less went on as usual. We were able to do a lot more things, right, without the restrictions and, and so forth. So free from the interference of enemies means, I believe, we have a longer period of freedom and, and time to accomplish the stuff that we're supposed to be doing. Not necessarily hunkered down in our bunker waiting for the storm to blow over, per se. And what exactly is it that we ought to be doing during the time of no buying or selling? Well, this is where we have to put on our prophetic thinking caps and remember where the prophetic timelines all line up. The time of no buying or selling happens after the Sunday law, after the mark of the beast is enforced, but before the great time of trouble or the time of Jacob's trouble or the close of probation. So it is the last fragment of time for the gospel to go. It is the period of time in Revelation 18 where it's described as an angel coming down and lightening the earth with his glory. So this period of time of no buying or selling is the last moment in which the light of the third angel can actually be given where people have not yet had the full close of probation uh, come upon them. Otherwise, it is known as the climax of the loud cry. So it's important for us to keep this in mind because when we think of the time of no buying or selling, we have to equate that to this is the last swelling the climax of the last day, last day message of the third angel. The loud cry climaxes at that time. And so, what does this mean? Country living, what's the purpose? It enhances our mission and in some specific ways. Country living helps us to be more effective in spreading the three angels' message. It helps us to save our children and to prepare them for usefulness in God's work. And I would also mention in this category, it's also for our own character development. And 
not just tilling the soil, but the process of trusting in God to make the move out of our comfort zone. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in this presentation, but character uh, refinement, and of course, particularly for our children. And then number three, to prolong our influence, to give the loud cry in the time of no buying or selling. Okay, so it's not merely so that we can be safe from our enemies. There is an element of that, no doubt. But it's so that we can be proclaiming the loud cry in the last moments to to win souls for Jesus until the very end. So these are just three general points. I know there are lots of other ways that we can characterize this for those of you who have studied all the counsel, but I think this gives us a good framework to work with. So what is country living not? Okay, if that is the biblical, more spirit of prophecy guided view of the purpose of country living, what is it not? Doomsday prepping. You know, they have a TV show about these people who are preparing for the apocalypse. What are they preparing for? They're preparing for things like, you know, some anarchy or some, you know, uh, the, the collapse of governments or social unrest or some sort of asteroid hitting the earth, or global warming, or, you know, all of these things that motivate them to have their nuclear fallout bunker. Oh yeah, nuclear war, that's another one. Those are the types of things that they're preparing for, but that's not the biblical perspective that we share, okay? So while we might have some overlap in some of the things that they do or have interest in or whatnot, we have to remember that we must be guided by the North Star of God's word and prophecies that's uh, found in the Bible, Country living is also not isolationism, right? We're there to win souls, to enhance the saving of souls, and to spread the three angels' message. And country living is not merely to transplant our lifestyle from the city to the country. It's not just picking up our large screen TV and walking it out to the country and plopping it down in the living room out there. Some of those things leave the city behind, okay? The country is to be a new way of life. So, with that context and that background in mind, let's ask this question. Who should move to the country? Some of you are thinking this is a, this is a you know, trick question. <laughs> kind of is. Minister of Healing tells us, it was not God's purpose that God should be crowded into cities. Not God's purpose that people should be crowded into cities, huddled together in terraces and tenements. In the beginning, he placed our first parents amidst the beautiful sights and sounds he desires us to rejoice in today. The more nearly we come into harmony with God's original plan, the more favorable will be our position to secure health of body and mind and soul. So simply put, country living is God's ideal for his people. There's just no way around the clear, thus saith the Lord, on that matter. But we do live in an unideal world. So what do I mean by that? Okay, the World Bank tells us that today, some 56% of the world's population, or 4.4 billion inhabitants, live in cities. This trend is expected to continue with the urban population more than doubling its current size by 2050, at which point nearly 7 out of 10 people will live in cities. 70% of Earth's population will be found in the cities if Jesus does not come before then. So what does this mean for us? If country living is God's ideal, well, someone, some way, somehow, is going to have to reach those people. And so, we have to remember what our mission is. Fundamentals of Christian Education, 537. There is another line of work to be carried forward. The work in the large cities. There should be companies of earnest laborers working in the cities. 
Men should study what needs to be done in the places that have been neglected. The Lord has been calling our attention to the neglected multitudes in the large cities, yet little regard has been given to this matter. And if we think about it, people like Jonah sent to Nineveh in the cities, Paul, all of his missionary endeavors throughout Asia Minor, planting churches in the city, Daniel and Joseph, raised in the country, ministered in the city, all the Protestant reformers ministered in the cities. And Ellen White says that there is a neglected work among us, and that is work to win souls in the cities. But then we just read, she doesn't want us to live in the cities. How do we harmonize these things? So here, this is my summary. City living ought not to be a way of life, but rather a specific sacrificial calling by God for the purpose of mission. And the best missionaries are those trained in the country. Remember the purpose of country living for our children. Some of them will be called, I believe, to seek and to save the lost in the cities. That's what we're training them for. That's why God called us out of the, out of the cities, so that we have the ability to reach in and to pull the lost souls out. Remember the Waldensian missionaries. And indeed, in the last days, God may call people from their country homes to serve as missionaries in the cities. We just have to remember the purpose of why we're there. I just have some friends recently. He had a beautiful country home, nice garden, a farmer's friend, greenhouse in Montana. Lord moved upon them to be foreign missionary. Now they're serving in Southeast Asia. Not in a massive city, I don't believe, but uh, they're learning the language and so forth. They're going to reach an unreached city. The Lord calls. And if he calls, we need to remember who, uh, what our purpose is on the earth. So when we think about moving to the country, I want to divide you know, the practical concerns because this is where some of the more practical things come to light when people get advice uh, about when to move and how to, how to manage these things. And three general life stages. One is the young and or the single. So we're talking about the young adults. We're not talking about young children, but the young adults who are now on their own and or the single ones. They might be married without children, for example. And then there are the elderly and there are the families with children. And there are three different cl- categories. For the young and the single and or the single, this is the best stage of life for missionary service. It's just no, no other way to put it. It's like a military deployment, however, rather than a permanent way of life. Okay? This is important because the council is clear. God's ideal is not for people to permanently reside in the cities. And so like SWAT teams or task forces or, you know, special forces going in for a period of time, that makes sense. Just like the Waldensians, right? The Waldensian young people trained in the Alps, they were sent into the great cities of Europe And when I say military deployment, sometimes those missionaries, the Waldensians, were there for a number of years. And then when they were older and had their families of their own, they would uh, retreat back to the mountains. But what about the elderly? Okay, the elderly, these are some practical concerns. That is that there's physical and mental sometimes decline. And so if someone has a large piece of property and they're getting elderly, there might be some moving that has to happen, you know, the care and property of, uh, care of a large property. And then what about the distance from family and the social and medical support? So I want to share just one brief example. I have a, a good friend. Uh, her parents have lived on the farm, a 160-acre farm, for 50 years. And dad was, you know, he's in his 80s now, strong as an ox, sharp as a tack, 
You know, he's been farming his whole life, just having his health message and all this stuff. He was in the barn, climbed up on three bales of hay to get some down. The whole pile collapsed. He fell down, hit his head, broke his shoulder, nearly suffocated when the whole pile landed on him. He, was, he, he crawled out, and then he went to the ER. They patched up his arm, but they didn't catch the bleeding in his brain, and a week later, he had a stroke. His wife, unfortunately, is suffering from mental decline. He has a 160-acre farm. Of course, you know, I don't want to you know, point any fingers because I'm the same way, but you know, he's lived there for so long, there was no leaving. His kids tried to convince him before that, and now his kids are grown and gone and have families of their own multiple states away, and it's become a real burden for the family to commute back and forth to care for him. So yes, he's in the country, and I'm not saying we ought to take him out of the country, but these are practical concerns that as families and loved ones, and of course there's no one-size-fit-all type of you know, recommendations here, but these are practical concerns from a personal finance type cons- uh, consideration to, to consider. But of course, there's a wide range right, of health and, and age and so forth for the, re- for the retiree. I also have spoken with a number of early retirees or almost retirees where they have had their careers in the city or in an expensive part of the country, and now they finally have the chance, and now they can actually make the move out to the country. And that may be the right time for them. Others, they've been living in the country already, and they raise their children, their children are grown and gone, and they're saying, okay, I still have energy in my bones, I'm going to go and serve the Lord again. And some of them are church administrators, some of them are pastoring again, some of them are missionaries overseas. The situation may be different depending on your circumstance, but in this stage of life, there's a wide variety of options depending on where the Lord may call you. And so uh, this is one of those situations where you have to pray earnestly for the Lord to, to guide you because we have to remember what's the purpose, right? Our purpose exists, of existing on the earth is to seek and to save the lost, right? To give the third angel's message before it's too late. But what about the families with children? We're going to come back to this point because this is really the emphasis when you read Ellen White's counsel. Over and over and over again, she is just hammering families with children. Get your kids out of the cities. And this is what she says here. Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 360. More and more as time advances, our people will have to leave the cities. For years we have been instructed that our brethren and sisters, and especially families with children, should plan to leave the cities as the way opens before them to do so. She also says this. Parents flock with their families to the cities because they fancy it easier to obtain a livelihood there than in the country. There is a, there is a financial draw to live in the cities, and she mentions this. The children, having nothing to do when not in school, obtain a street education from evil associates. They acquire habits of vice and dissipation. The parents see all this, but it will require sacrifice to correct their error, and they stay where they are until Satan gains full control of their children. And this is the rub. Economically, it's difficult. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. We recognize that it is going to be a sacrifice to make the move. The kids aren't aren't going to like it. But the, the stakes are extremely high. And just like Israel in the wilderness, sometimes what happens also is after they make the move, some families, they feel the drain. Oh, I thought it would be heaven on earth, but oh man, there's so much work to do. And it's not as convenient. You have to drive so far just to get the groceries. And it becomes a drag. And then there's a temptation. Hey, let's just go back to Egypt. 
And so the, sacrifice, the sacrificial element cannot be lost sight of, that there is a cost to moving to the country. But the families, God has made a very specific call for them for the sake of the children. So God's call, whom, who should move to the country? Are we prioritizing our comfort and convenience over God's counsel and calling? And sometimes I know we can make the excuse, oh, but I'm a missionary where I am. But if the Lord calls you to be somewhere else, I guess the Bible story is remember Lot's wife. We don't want to be where God did not place us, okay? So if God is calling us and our families out of the cities, are we heeding his call? But let's say we're out in the country already and the Lord says, I want you to be a missionary to reach those in the city, which might happen. Are we going to prioritize our own safety and our own comfort in the country versus saving souls? Is city living an idol in our lives? And is it possible that even country living can be an idol in our lives? I know that might not be the most appropriate thing to say at an agriculture conference, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. We ought not to be so tethered even to a nice piece of country property in so far or to the degree where if Jesus calls us to sell all and follow him, we're not willing to go. Okay, that's the point. That's the principle here. So we need to go to God individually, okay? And so this actually rolls right into the next point. So when is the right time to move, okay? When is the right time to move to the country? Get out of the cities as soon as possible. Wow, that's pretty clear. And purchase a little piece of land, all right? The next statement down here, it says, the time has come at when, as God opens the way, families should move out of the cities. So these two statements, I like to put them together because on one hand, there is a real sense of urgency, right? The world is not getting any better. Our children, the longer they have negative influences, the more impre- during the time of impression, that they're impressionable, you know, the more time we're losing with them. So there is that element of it, but then it's also just as God opens the way. So if I can answer the question, when is the right time to move? The simple answer is as soon as God opens the way, okay? As soon as God opens the way, but I, I, can we get a little more specific here? Can we? Can we? There are some financial indicators here that the spirit of prophecy actually gives us as ways to sort of chart, okay, I am ready now. Country Living tells us, none should move into new places merely for the sake of worldly advantage, but where there is an opening to obtain a livelihood, let families that are well-grounded in the truth enter one or two families in a place to work as missionaries. Again, there you have it. Moving to the country, directly intertwined with our mission. She's talking here of like dark county mission type work. But what's the financial indicator here? You need to have the ability to obtain a livelihood. You're not there to make a bunch of money, but you do need to be able to pay the bills. The next statement here, attention must be given so that our people desiring to leave the cities can obtain modest homes without a large outlay of means and can also find employment. So having a source of income is the, one of the major financial indicators. So let's talk about this for just a moment. You know, we need to think about this um, with the cost of living, you know, and what's within our budget. But recently with, particularly during COVID, with the remote work kind of revolution, I've talked with so many people where previously 
this is actually one of the silver linings, I would say, of the COVID situation, is that so many previous jobs that required you being tethered to a cubicle in a physical space has now become a virtual position that you can do anywhere. And so I've talked with so many people where they previously had to work in a specific place in the city somewhere, and now they can move out in the country while keeping their same job. Praise the Lord for that. But for other people that don't have the luxury, they may have to create a new source of income. They may have to look into, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and ways to uh, start a business and things of that nature. And so the, the principle is, yes, you need to move to the country as the Lord opens the way. And one of the things we need to get right and to have the Lord help us with is our source of income. It might be a new business, some new venture. It might be moving in a remote position job or finding, you know, a lot of people I know in the medical field, they find a different post. They might not earn as much, right? They might not be as prestigious in the, in the city and seeing all the fancy cases, but they have the opportunity to move the family out to the country. And so uh, we need to remember also not to move rashly. Okay, so this statement is Select Messages, Volume 2. Let there be nothing done in a disorderly manner that there shall be a great loss or sacrifice made upon property because of ardent, impulsive speeches which stir up enthusiasm, which is not after the order of God, that a victory that was essential to be gained shall, for lack of level-headed moderation and proper contemplation and sound principles and purposes, be turned to defeat. So, don't move out of fear is the counsel. I got a call a couple years ago from a lady who was just absolutely stressed out. She was a recent purchaser of a piece of property out, outside a large city where, where she used to live. And she was just exhausted and just so tired. The reason why? She was commuting 70 miles one way every day for work. But she heard a preacher say, get out of the cities now. And so she bought a piece of property out in the country without having thought things through. And now she is utterly exhausted and she's ready to give up and just move back in the city. That's what she's saying when she says, when a victory gets turned to defeat. And so I respectfully said, ma'am, if I may humbly mention, you don't live in the country. You merely sleep in the country. And most of the time, she's probably not even sleeping that well either. And so this is what she's talking about. We don't want to turn a blessing into a curse. And so this next statement I want to mention, and this is probably pointing more at me than anyone else in this room, and that is talking about the teachers, okay, that actually talk about this stuff. And this was in relation to a, a movement that was happening in Battle Creek. Some preachers got up and gave some impassioned speeches and said, get out of Battle Creek now. And 200 of them said, oh, we're going to go tomorrow. And somebody called Ellen White, not called, you know, counseled with her, and she wrote this testimony to the Battle Creek Church, and this is what she said. While some teachers may be strong and efficient in teaching in the lines of Bible doctrines, they will not all be men who have a knowledge of practical life and can advise perplexed minds with surety and safety. They do not discern the perplexing situation that must necessarily come to every family who shall make a change. Sister White understands that a significant change like this will bring a certain amount of perplexity. Therefore, let all be careful what they say 
If they know not the mind of God in some matters, let them never speak from a guess or suppose so. If they know nothing definite, let them say so. And let the individual rely wholly upon God. Let there be much praying done and even fasting that no one shall move in darkness but move in the light as God is in the light. So this is the caution to me. I'm the one speaking up here. We need to remember not to be overly dogmatic. This is a very personal and very weighty decision. It's upending someone's entire life, the whole life history of the rest of their family. We give the counsel a plain, thus saith the Lord. The counsel is there. It is plain. We encourage them as best we can, encourage them to pray, encourage them to fast and seek the Lord and and individually rely wholly upon him. I have, I've talked with people on both sides of this equation. Many friends of mine recently have been moving to the country and invariably those who move out of emotion, they end up having stress and they're the ones that end up giving up and moving back in the city. But those who take their time, who pray earnestly, who are willing to sacrifice, who put in the work, are willing to, you know, take, uh, make the hard decisions and follow wherever God leads, it invariably becomes a huge blessing for them. And so we need to take God's counsel seriously. And for those of us who are in the position of teaching and, and giving advice and counsel, we need to be mindful, okay? Mindful to let them trust in God and let him guide individually. All right, so next question. How much land do we need? And what type of home should we buy? The property, uh, country living, and also select messages, volume two. So get out of the cities as soon as possible and purchase a little piece of land where you can have a garden, where your children can watch the flowers growing and learn from them lessons of simplicity and purity. Parents can secure small homes in the country with land for cultivation where they can have orchards and where they can raise vegetables and small fruits. All right, a little piece of land, enough for gardening. We see that, it's clear. Small and modest homes, we got that. Nature for children enjoy, time for them to spend time outdoors. Okay, we got that. But can we be a little more specific? What, what does she mean when she says little piece of property? Like, is 20 acres little? I mean, 20 is a lot less than 200, right? Like, what what does she mean? All right, let's take a look. She actually says this. In this neighborhood, there is a large tract of unoccupied land. Some of our people who are living in the poisoned atmosphere of the cities might profitably secure a few acres of this land. They could support themselves by raising fruit and vegetables and poultry. Now, you realize this is just a a comment in regards to a specific situation, but it at least gives us a clue, right, an indication when she's talking about a little piece of property, small piece of land, she's thinking roughly a few acres, okay? Not a few hundred acres. (laughs) We don't need a Texas-sized ranch to do country living properly, according to the council here. You know, for me, this is very encouraging, because I do, not, I do not come from significant amount of means. And sometimes when I think about country living, I'm thinking vast tracts of land as far as the eye can see, virgin forest, a lake, river, wave, you know, amber waves of grain. <laughs> you know, like you're thinking this massive homestead. And I think I just cannot afford it. I work for a ministry. I'm just not going to try. But God's counsel is not burdensome, okay? The counsel that we've been given here is not some insurmountable obstacle for all of us. 
It is actually quite attainable if we're willing to sacrifice and put in the work. But on the other hand, I want to be hasten to mention, now if you are able to have a larger piece of property, hey, look, don't let me stop you, right? I would love to have more land. Uh, she's not saying don't get a larger piece of property. You understand what I'm saying, but you don't have to have a larger piece of property. So this is helpful for us to remember. And so let's summarize a little bit. Oh, actually, this is another, this is another encouraging statement I want to include in here. So Manuscript Releases, Volume 11. When opportunity offers, our people should pro- purchase properties away from the cities on which are buildings already erected and fruit orchards already in bearing. Land is a valuable possession. So if it's possible, we should look for those things. And I believe this is one of those situations where those among God's people who might, we might have gotten a late start. We haven't had the chance to get out early, to put in the orchard, you know, to, to do the work that takes a long time investment into the garden and the orchard and so forth. I believe God is going to do for those faithful people who are coming out of the cities in the 11th hour, so to say, like what he did to the children of Israel. You remember when they came into the land of Canaan? The houses were built, the vineyards were planted, the fields were plowed. The Lord can do the same again, okay? We serve an almighty God, and this, I believe, is going to be a promise very soon that we're going to be able to claim for those of us who are moving out. So what do we learn about the property? What type of property, okay? She says, a little piece of land, okay? The best indication we have, what does she mean by that? She's talking about a few acres. Enough land for gardening and for an orchard, uh, for a small and modest home, And of course, if you can afford a larger home, she's not saying you can't have a bigger home again. Uh, And also nature for children to enjoy and to spend out of doors. A couple of notes here. And at Adagra, you don't need me to tell you that gardening does not have to take up much space. There are seminars that are going to teach you how to be very efficient with your space. Um, And also another just more practical matter, the bigger the land, the bigger the upkeep. Just have to keep that in mind. If you have more land, that's more grass to mow. (laughs) More trees you have to clear when they come down. Whatever size of the house we get also, we have to remember it is a law, an incontrovertible law of life. The size of your home, it will get filled. That's just the way it is. And so I always advise people, if you don't want to overspend on accoutrements and things in the house, figure out the size of the house you need and like take it down just a slight notch, okay? Learn to be a little bit more frugal and efficient instead of the opposite, which is, oh, well, we're going to grow, outgrow this. So we're just going to, bam, add another addition while we're at it. And then that just gets filled up and that's not enough either, right? And then all of a sudden our budget goes out the window. And so this, uh, this example, so one example is, you know, my property, I'll, I'll show you a picture of my land. I only have one acre. I would love to have more, but I moved into the house and it's mostly lawn. And uh, at first, I had a little riding mower. When I was young, I did a push mower, and I thought, man, I got a riding mower. This is amazing. First time I mowed the lawn, it took me three hours. I'm like, I, this is unsustainable. You know, in the, in the summertime, sometimes I have to mow the lawn twice a week. Three hours and a pop? I'm like, this is crazy. So what happens? I sell that riding mower. I got, a, I got a zero turn. Yeah. But then the zero turn didn't fit in my garage. So I need a shed. And then once I get a shed, I got to fill up the shed. So you see this lifestyle inflation can happen to all of us. And, you know, if I had a bigger piece of property, I'd probably end up with a tractor. You know, every boy's dream, right, is to have a tractor. So this is um, one of those things that we just have to keep in mind from a personal finance perspective. Other considerations for the land and the property, the location, is the climate and the growing season. Okay, lots of seminars here talking about your particular, you know, that's, that's why a lot of us are here, understanding, you know, in our particular situation. 
Um, off, of course, the cost of living and the taxes. I don't need to tell you. I live in Tennessee. We're in Texas. We've had a lot of immigrants fleeing uh, places like California because of the cost of living and the taxes and so forth. And so obviously people already are thinking of those things. Of course, employment, income potential, we, we mentioned that earlier already. And of course, we don't want to forget the proximity to the souls that God wants us to win. And so we want to remember the mission of why God calls us to the country. All right, let's hasten on here. So the next question is, how self-sufficient must I be? Because this has a very direct implication to our personal finances. How we order our lifestyle, depending on you know, the, 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 the level of self-sufficiency we wish to pursue. Because there's a, there's a wide spectrum. I think you all understand what I'm talking about. You know, Ellen White is very clear that we need to have some level of self-sufficiency right, to raise our own provisions. But then it's very easy to start thinking, okay, well, in that case, um, I shouldn't be on city water. Okay, so I need a well. Well, I, I don't want to be hooked up to the grid in order to, how much time do we have? I think I have 20 minutes, right? Okay, thank you. I was about to panic. Okay, so when we think about self-sufficiency, you know, there's, there's many levels to this, okay? So even in our gardening, how much of our uh, produce do we, or how much of our food intake for our family do we want to replace? You know, there's definitely the garden fresh vegetables are going to be easy when we think about the grains. You know, are we going to, you know, grains like barley and rice and wheat, it gets a little bit more difficult. And then, you know, I'm Asian, and so I need my tofu, and all of a sudden that becomes even more difficult. And then we're thinking, oh, what about the avocados? And then all the nuts, you know, and the, you know, omega-3s and 6s and chia seeds. And It's very easy to just sort of go on and on and on and on until we realize, oh, it's so impossible, and then also give up. But there is, there is a level here. And then do we go off the grid? Do we go solar? Do we have backup power? Do we have a hand pump for our well? Do we, have, you know, do we only cook over an open fire? Obviously, you know, there are all sorts of different directions that this can go. So we need to ask the question, okay, does God have counsel okay, in this regard? And so the best I can explain from my study is that self-sufficiency and, and the off-grid living lifestyle is not the burden of the counsel on country living in the council. She does mention a few things, you know, raising of provisions in the time of no buying or selling. That's the biggest one. That's kind of the principle that drives a lot of it. But there are no clear or direct statements as far as I have found. I, I'm, you know, I'm still studying. But I have not yet found any clear or direct statements suggesting that a complete self-sufficiency or off-grid living is a necessity. Okay, I have not seen those statements. But the logical, there are some logical conclusions that can be assumed based on the principles uh, or the implications, rather, of not being able to buy or sell. So some level of self-sufficiency does make sense. But how far we want to extend that, I believe it appears it is a matter of personal preference and capacity rather than a divine principle. Okay, so that's the best that I have seen so far in scripture. So there is a wide range that God permits us as his people, as the stewards of his means, to uh, think through ourselves. But there are some clear statements in which Sister White is in favor of some level of conveniences in the home. Okay, I'm just going to share two statements here. Avenue's home, page 148, in most countries, bedrooms need to be supplied 
with conveniences for heating, that they may be thoroughly warmed and dried in cold or weather. So heating, energy, that's a big one. Convenient ways of drying out the home. So I do not see this as necessarily saying, oh, you must be off the grid. Hooking up to some utility seems to be appropriate in this context. And this next passage from Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 5, Letter 9, 1888. This is about Brother Leiniger. This is an interesting account. She writes, Brother Leiniger had conscientiously decided not to build a convenient woodshed and kitchen. And uh, for his large family, because he did not feel free to invest means in personal conveniences when the cause of God needed money to carry it forward. I tried to show him that it was necessary for the health as well as for the morals of his children that he should make home pleasant and provide conveniences to lighten the labor of his wife. And all of the wives said, Amen. In fact, right before this passage, Ellen White said, and I didn't have space on the slide, she told Brother Leiniger that it was his duty to get his wife a carriage. Huh, how about that? How would you like the prophet to tell your husband to buy you a new car? Well, that's exactly what happened. Not just a new car. She said, build the woman a new kitchen. Now, all the husbands, I need to stand up for the men for a moment. This is no excuse to go back and say, honey, Ellen White says, you got to get me the new kitchen with marble countertop, right? Like, let's not take this too far. But what's the principle that she's teaching us here? The point is that there are, there are things that we can do to lighten the labors in the home. Because our mothers, bless their hearts, they have the hardest job in the world. Raising our children, cooking the meals, providing for the health and the character development for the children, homeschooling, all the, the whole nine yards. Make her life easier. Make it pleasant. It is a duty and necessary. And so in that context, right, get the poor woman her instant pot, okay? Give her her Vitamix. Make her life easier, right? The washing machine, go ahead and plug it in. The, uh, all those types of things. So the conveniences uh, Ellen White takes the side of definitely lightening the load on, uh, on poor mom at home. And so here we have uh, a statement that I often have to remind myself of, and that is, don't borrow trouble before it comes. Last day of N17, many will look away from present duties, present comfort and blessings, and be borrowing trouble in regard to the future crisis. This will be making a time of trouble beforehand, and we will receive no grace for any such anticipated trials. So, other considerations, all right? This is still in the context. How self-sufficient should I arrange my lifestyle when I'm in the country? But to remember, what's the time and the effort to maintain? We are stewards, not just of our money, but also of our time, okay? What else does God expect me to use my time for? The steward of our resources. You know, some, sometimes setting some of these things up are very costly. I know of people who expend large amounts of money, even getting into massive amounts of debt to put in like a solar system, and then they're in massive debt and they think, oh, well, God, Jesus is coming soon. I don't have to pay it off. What about the impact on our mission today? Okay, if we are eliminating some of the conveniences in our lives, it may take a lot more sweat equity to just maintain, right, the daily life. So we need to keep that in balance as well. And then also our position during the loud cry, the time of no buying or selling. You know, sometimes I talk with people and we get this idea like during the time of trouble or during, you know, the time of no buying or selling, we're going to be sitting in our hot tub, heated with our solar panels, water pumped from our own well, watching our flat screen TV, just waiting for it to blow over. That's not the scenario that the Bible or the Spirit of Prophecy paints. 
God's people with their faces lighted up are going to be going door to door giving people the final warning message before the probation closes. Okay? So we got to keep all of these perspectives in mind. All right, so now we're running out of time. So we got to move on. This is the big question. So how, how, how much can I afford? How do I know how much I can afford? We're going to try to get as specific as we can. But first, the principle, the time has come when as God opens the way, families should move out of the cities. The children should be taken into the country. The parents should get as suitable a place as their means allow. Does God meet his people where they are? Yes, he does. But this statement is not terribly helpful because it's still just whatever. (laughs) At least it kind of feels that way. So let's try to put some definition to it. How much do my means allow? Okay, number one. First, you must have a three to six months emergency fund. We talked about this last hour. I'm not going to recap that. Number two, target a 20% down payment, but at least five to 10% if it is your first home. The bigger the down payment, the better off you are, particularly when interest rates are as high as they are for mortgages. And same, number three, because of the high interest rates, you want to have a good credit score. Again, if you heard the last talk, I am not against credit. I'm not against credit cards. I do believe having a good credit score will just make your life a lot easier. So shoot for over 700 credit score if you can, FICO score. 15 or 30-year fixed rate mortgages only. Do not get the adjustable rate, the balloons, interest only, all those kind of fancy things because you actually want to pay off the house at some point and build equity in it. And no more than 25% of your take-home pay toward house payments. This last point is my agreement with Dave Ramsey. And this is where it gets kind of, kind of tight, okay? And I admit that. But there are some reasons for this. Number one, 25% of take-home pay because it prevents you from being house poor, especially if interest rates continue to climb and you can't refinance your house later. If you get locked into a mortgage and then you later on you realize this is too much, I cannot pay it, and the interest rates just keep going up, you're not able to refinance it for a lower payment. So you're stuck, okay? Number two, it allows wiggle room for inevitable extra expenses. Remember, you move out into the country, there will be all sorts of things that you never knew you needed special tools and gadgets and ladders and equipment and, you know, fixing things yourself, there's just going to be expenses, okay? Uh, Number three, it allows room for extra payments to pay off your other debt or your mortgage early. If you you just max out how much you can pay up front, you're never going to pay off your mortgage on, you know, early, right? The point is to get out of debt eventually because it's still slavery with smallpox, as we discussed, And so even though a bank may approve you for more than the 25%, it doesn't mean you should take it, all right? So this is my recommendation. So this is a Dave Ramsey affordability calculator. And so I punched in some numbers, okay? Take-home pay, 5,000. This is at the top of the screen there. So this person takes home about $60,000 a year. He has a 20% down payment. It's a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. And interest rates, and this is the best interest rate I found about, you know, a month ago when I was putting this together, 7%. If that makes you cringe, I'm sorry. Uh, This has been somewhat of a historical range for mortgages, actually. And with those numbers, the home buying budget is $185,818. That's not very much. And how do you increase this? Have a bigger down payment. That is the answer. There's no way around it. We are living in a very precarious financial situation in the economy. And so we need to be willing to, we need to be able 
to apply a higher savings rate. And this is why last hour we talked about why the savings rate is absolutely so crucial. It is the secret to unlock the ability to not get into massive amounts of debt when we're buying a property. We don't want to cut corners. Okay, interest-only balloons, arms, adjustable rates. If interest rates continue to go up, those things can just wipe you out. The next one, don't over-leverage, meaning borrow too much. There, I have heard, unfortunately, sentiments like, I can just max out my credit card, max out all my credit lines, take out a second mortgage on the house because Jesus is coming so soon, I'm never going to have to pay it back. Well, you're going to have to pay it back because during the time of no buying or selling, the creditors are still going to come after you. Some borrow money from family and friends. Just as a, take it as an advice from a friend. If you never want to talk to someone again, loan them some money. There is not a worse idea you can do. You look at somebody that you loan money to, you see their Facebook and they're going on some European vacation, and you get this twisting feeling in your stomach. If you're like me, it's more like a boiling rage. Like, I'm living so frugally. I am pinching the pennies so that I can help you. And you go off and you do all this crazy stuff. People see you coming if they owe you money and they, they do the crab walk really, really fast. You know, like they don't want to see you anymore. Don't ruin your relationships with people by borrowing money from them or loaning them money. Similarly, the Bible tells us don't co-sign a loan because co-signing a loan is more or less loaning them money. Only it's worse because you co-sign the loan, you expect them to pay it off, and then all of a sudden you're holding the bag. Well, why do you think the bank requires a co-signer? Because they know they're not going to be able to pay you back, okay? So be careful with that. And number five, I'm, unfortunately, I've talked with people who have done this as well, purchasing property together with loved ones without clear legal, financial, and relational boundaries. The titling is not clear, and all of a sudden people are building homes on other people's property, but the home is mine, but the land is mine, and, they, and then they get in a big fight, or other people get in the mix, and it becomes horrible. I'm not saying that it's not possible. You should not go in together, but do it with clear boundaries, okay? So the, uh, the Spirit of Prophecy tells us many will have to labor earnestly to help open the way. We have to remember this. There is a sacrifice, like we talked about earlier. We have to be willing to pay the price. And the price often is saving more money, <laughs> being willing to cut the budget, sometimes to the bone, so that we are able to make the move for the sake of all the reasons we've discussed earlier, for the sake of our children, for the mission, and all the rest. So be willing to pay the price. But how much can I afford? Not just in dollar terms, but in time, okay? We also have to manage our time. These are just some of the things that takes time on the farm, Maintenance of the property and the gardening, and then we still are involved in our church and ministry. What about the children? If we're moving to the country, we're going to be homeschooling our kids. At least I hope we are. And then what about our actual employment? All of these things take time, and so we have to balance what we can afford time-wise. All right, so I am running out of time as well, so let's hurry on. I want to share a little bit about my home. Um, we are not holding ourselves up as the model by any means, Okay. So with that, please, I humbly just share what we, are, uh, what we have done. So our property is one acre. Would we like more land? Yes, we want more land. Uh, we have two dwellings on it. We have a 1,400-square-foot home. That's where we live. We have uh, an out or uh, an guest house, you call it. It's the Audioverse office, actually. Uh, it's 860 square feet. We have a garden shed. We have solar panels, which I've mentioned before. They are grid-tied, so it 
Like we sell power at a premium to this power company and we buy it back at a discount. And a lot of people always ask, are solar panels a good financial investment? The answer, nine times out of 10, is no, not anymore. No more financial incentives from the government. You're not gonna make much money you know, doing solar panels, unfortunately. Uh, we have a pond. It dries up in the summer. There's no spring, unfortunately, so it's a terrible eyesore. I wish it wasn't there. But we do have a pond. We have raised bed gardens. We have berries. We have an in-ground orchard, and we have a container orchard. I have roughly 50 fig trees. If you want to hear more about it, I have a seminar tomorrow all about figs. So that's our property. And here are some pictures. The picture on the top, I think it was last year, the one, one day per year that we get snow. It melts in about, you know, eight hours. Uh, so this is the front of our property at the top. And then the back of our property, uh, the bottom picture, you can see some of my trees and a fenced-in garden area and the berries on the right. We have more that's not shown here. Uh, but that gives you roughly an idea of where we live. And since not all of you are going to be in the fig seminar, this is my fig orchard. It's a driveway orchard. Some of my trees are quite a bit bigger than that now. But uh, this is my fig driveway orchard. So some numbers. We bought our home in 2013 for $185,000 with a $100,000 down payment. You remember the savings rate? My wife has been saving up like a crazy woman since she graduated from college because her dream was to buy a home in cash. So she saved $100,000 and she sprung it on me after we were engaged. And I'm like, this is the best financial decision I've ever made. <laughs> Not because of the money, but because I married a saver. Okay? And so... Our mortgage was $85,000. We had a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage at 3.49%. If that makes you cry, it makes me cry. I wish interest rates were that low now for all of my friends who are trying to buy homes. Uh, we paid six times the minimum monthly payment. Again, how do we do that? We had a massive savings rate. I just keep coming back to this. We need to be able to save more money if we're going to be able to do some of this stuff. But then now, 10 years later, in 2023, according to Zillow, our home is now worth $360,000. In 10 years, it's gone up 95% in value. Plus, the guest house has been rented out, so I have rental income. This is not to show off or anything, because who? I had no idea. I was going to buy it anyway, even if the value didn't go up. But this has turned out to be my single best financial investment in the past 10 years. And what am I trying to say? Two things. When we follow God's will, can he bless us? Even when we don't expect it? Yes. The second principle here, or the second lesson here is, you know, I mentioned we would like more land. So my wife and I, we are. We're seriously talking about getting a bigger piece of property farther out in the country, more land, you know, bigger garden, more trees, and all of that stuff. And so what is that, what am I trying to say? You do not have to make one giant leap to your forever home in the country. It is possible to buy a smaller piece of property because what's the counsel from the Spirit of Prophecy? as suitable a place as your means allow. So you don't need to think so big like, oh, I need to have that gigantic ranch out there in the middle of Texas, right? We may take incremental steps because the Lord works with us where we are. And as we follow him step by step, he can bless us. He can increase the value of our home beyond our, you know, expectations. And now all this equity, I can add it. Let's say I was that person with the $5,000 take-home pay. I can take the $185,000 and add it on top of the equity on this home, right? And that can move me to a much bigger piece of property, okay? You see how this can be very practically applied 
uh, as we follow God's will step by step. And if we're patient, if we're willing to save, sacrifice, put in the work, make the earnest effort, and all of what we have just discussed. So a lot of questions about the housing market, so I have to talk about this, okay? So housing market, what do we expect in the future? And I am not a prognosticator, so I'm just going to share kind of both sides, the bull case and the, the bear case, if you understand the, the term there, those who think it's going to stay up and those who think it's going to come down, housing prices. Interest rates are going to remain high. The Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, has already told us this. They're going to continue raising interest rates, albeit at a slower rate, in 2023, and then they're probably going to hold it at a high rate until inflation subsides. And that means mortgage rates are going to follow suit. So I hate to say this, but mortgage rates are not, going, are not likely going to come back down anytime soon. Some people say they're never going to get back down to as low as they were, under 3% in some cases. So that might be here to stay. But why might home prices come down? Prices tend to come down in earnest when there is a full-blown recession because people lose their jobs and they, get, they lose their homes. That's terrible that that happens to people, but that's just the economic reality of what happens. And nine out of 10 econ economists, maybe 9.9 .9 out of 10 economists, now are predicting a recession. The question is just how severe it's going to be. I'm not an economist. I'm just telling you what they say. Well, why may home prices not come down? Okay, there's a counter argument to this. It's, some say that it's because there have been an undersupply of homes on the market for quite some time. And it has never recovered, really, because the supply chain disruptions during COVID and so forth has further reduced housing inventory. That also coupled with the fact that a whole bunch of people bought homes very recently at extremely low interest rates. And so they are incentivized to hold on to that low interest rate and not sell the home to have to buy another one at a high interest rate. So that's the counter argument of why home prices may not come down. But ultimately, this I can say for sure, and that is your mileage will vary because real estate is going to vary dramatically between regions. In certain places, housing prices have come down dramatically. In other places, like where I live in Chattanooga, it's really not doing anything, right? It hasn't gone up as quickly, but it hasn't really come down either. So what's the best thing to do? I've been saying this all day. We need to save. Save as much as we can. Have as big of a down payment as humanly possible. All right, so I am winding down here. I'm, gonna, I'm running a little bit over, but forgive me. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here shortly. This is important. So the best thing, absolute best thing we can do is to make God our realtor. Okay, last day events, 96. The Lord would have his people looking about them and secure humble, inexpensive places as centers for their work. And from time to time, larger places will come to their notice, which they will be able to secure at a surprisingly low price. Can somebody say amen to that? There's another promise here I want to share with you. Select the messages, volume two. God, a people, a parents can secure small homes in the country with land for cultivation where they can have orchards and where they can raise vegetables and small fruits to take the place of flesh meat. God will help his people to find such homes outside the cities. It's not a maybe. It's not a perhaps. It's not a I'll think about it. He will do it. I just have to tell you one story. A good friend of mine, about 10 years ago, he was living in Maryland, working for a big corporation in the city, nice home, good income, good career, but he had been under the conviction that he needed to bring his family, he had two young daughters, out of the city. He studied all this stuff. We've had conversations about this. And he said, finally, one day during his prayer time, actually, he, he lost his business that he was working in, 
And he said, fine, God, if you want me to move, you have to sell my house. This week, he gave God one week, and houses were not selling during that time. There was nobody buying, and he's like, ha, I got you now, God. His house sold in three days. And so, he moved. And as he and his wife were looking for property, they made a list, things that they, ne- that they needed, and they tried to f- follow the council as close as they can. This is what we wanted, land to grow, you know, food and, you know, property, and the things that they would like to have. Like, they wanted a swimming pool. They wanted a, a wood stove. They wanted to have trees already in the ground and bearing, like some of these things that, you know, we talked about too. They looked around. They had a couple of false starts. They completely forgot about the list because they got into the hunt, you know, Finally, they got into their property, and they somehow found the list. And they pulled out the list, and as they were looking down, they were aghast. God not only gave them every single item on their need-to-have list, God gave them everything on their want-to-have list, or something that was better. For example, he wanted a swimming pool. He realized, you know, the insurance doesn't like swimming pools, and he realized, I don't want to take care of a swimming pool. But instead, on his property... He had a nice big creek in the bank. That's even better. He had fruit trees that were already bearing fruit. There was no wood stove in the house, but he went down in the basement. He was rummaging around, and behind the wall, there was an, a place to put an insert. It was all covered up. He's like, what? What were the chances? Even the inspector didn't see it. Is God able to provide for his people if we follow him? He can. So let's remember the purpose of country living to be more effective in spreading the three angels' messages, to save our children, to prepare them for usefulness in God's work and for our own characters while, while we're out there. And by the way, the character development doesn't start once we're out in the country and start tilling the soil. It starts right now. When we make the commitment now and we say, Lord, I'm willing to put in the work now and God opens the way now, all of a sudden our hearts begin to change, just like the soil gets prepared as we've been hearing every morning so that when we're out there, we're ready to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. Okay, number three, to prolong our influence, to give the loud cry in the time of no buying or selling, to advance the mission of God. That's why we do it, okay? Let's not forget the purpose for why God has placed us on the earth. So our last two promises, and then we'll conclude. Fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and comfortable home are kings and queens. I love that passage. Do not consider it a privation when you are called to leave the cities and move out into the country places. Here there await rich blessings for those who will grasp them. So may we follow God's counsel for us. May we trust in his leading. Make him our realtor and he will reveal himself to us. Let's let's conclude with prayer and as we close. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your clear counsel, for your promises, for meeting us where we are, for the attainableness of your expectations for us. But Lord, all your callings, all your commandments are your enablings. And Lord, so today we commit ourselves to you. Make yourself known to us for those of us who are still on the fence. Help us as we seek your will to individually lead and guide us to the right place where you want us to raise our families. And be with us the remainder of this day and this conference we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.